morning's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, from verse 23 through to verse 6 of Mark 3, under the subheading, Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiata, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Lovely to see you here. I did wonder who would turn up this morning. What a crazy last 24 hours and more to come. Well, let's pray as we think about what this passage has to say to us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Father, just open our hearts and our minds to hear you speak to us on this very important topic of Sabbath rest. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've thought much about the humble seven-day working week. It's something that I guess all of us, it's just deeply in our DNA, really in everyone's DNA. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's here and it comes around again and again and again. One of my friends, a minister in America, as a minister, talks about the relentless grind of Sundays. It's there again. And he was reflecting on the fact that every week you have to get ready for another service. And there's something about us as creatures of habit uh, that is deeply built into us in this seven-day working week. I mean, you think about the week we have uh, and have been through. Um, All of us will have our ritual in terms of how we go through that week. Uh, Mine typically, I try and get up at 6.15. I try and swim at 7. I'll try and have a cup of Earl Grey tea around about 8 read my Bible, have a shower, pray, come down to work nine. If I get to bed by 10, I've done very well because it's often a bit later than that. 
and then the day starts again the next day. And that's interrupted on a number of occasions, 7 o'clock, I'm not swimming, I'm down here praying on Tuesdays, 7.30, I'm down here on Sundays, and then tomorrow it starts again. Let me say, no swimming this week though. It's just been crazy. And there's a very ordered nature to the world we're in, the way God's made it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it just keeps going round and round again. And it's interesting, I was doing some reading on the nature of the week being seven days, and I read this article, not by a Christian person at all, and they were talking about the fact that pretty much every civilization, in some way, shape or form, has had a seven-day week. And they postulated about the origins of this, and they gave every explanation except for the one that God made the world in seven days. (laughs) Completely silent on that nature, on that topic. And you can go back, and the reading I did, to about 2000 BC in terms of it being recognised as the order of way things operate. And it's interesting, there's only really in the last uh, couple of um, millennial two periods, and they're very short, where countries have tried to stop, in terms of our Western world, the seven-day working week. And both of them were complete failures. I'm going to talk about that a bit later. But I want us to uh, open our Bibles and have a look at um, Mark's Gospel because we're looking today at Jesus' fourth and fifth debates with the Pharisees and both of them are about the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was one of those key markers within the people of God's life every week, every seventh day or first day, depending on how you want to organise your days, There it was, and it was a very significant day for Israel. It was a holy day set apart by God, a day for rest and a day for worship. And when you read through the Gospels, uh, you don't have to read much to know that there's a lot of controversy between Jesus and the religious leaders over this issue of the Sabbath. And so if you've got your Bibles there, we're at Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And we're reading through to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6 that Larry read to us. And let me pick up from the, uh, there's basically two stories uh, or two incidents. And both of them relate to the Sabbath. Mark 2, verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? As I said, it's the fourth and fifth debate between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we've seen uh, in the previous weeks with John Dixon a number of those. Uh, The debate over Jesus' authority to proclaim forgiveness of sins. He says, yes, of course I can do that as he heals the man who was paralysed. Last week, the debate about who Jesus hung out with, the sinners of the world, the unclean. And Jesus says, that's exactly who I've come for. And then in the passage that followed, there's the passage about fasting, which we're not looking at today. And again, there's controversy because the Pharisees, uh, disciples fasted, but Jesus didn't. And then we have two more debates, and both of them are about the Sabbath. And in this one, Jesus' disciples basically held themselves to some free takeaway food as they walk along. And... You can just see the picture, they're out walking, Jesus is talking, they're hungry 
and the disciples look either side and there's some beautiful wheat there. They just pick their heads off and start eating. And the Pharisees are upset because it is the Sabbath. And in the way they understood the world, they think they're working. Now, how you would think that and why you would think that beggars belief at one level to us, if I can say in the 21st century, but that's exactly what they thought. And Jesus responded this way. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Now, if you've just read this and you've thought, so Jesus is being confronted about his disciples doing something on the Sabbath, what's the relationship between that and him talking about this incident from King David and his followers taking consecrated bread, which was lawful only for the priest to eat. There doesn't seem an obvious connection in terms of Jesus' logic here. I'll give you two thoughts. Uh, the first is because it was an Old Testament example of where some pious men did something on the surface that seemed out of keeping with the law of Moses. And God did not condemn David or his men on that occasion. And what Jesus is saying here, potentially, is, well, neither should you Pharisees for what my disciples have done. And the implication is really, you really don't know how to read the Old Testament. And underneath so many of these debates is really Jesus' authority as the teacher to explain what the Word of God actually says, not what they've made it up to say. But I think another reason that Jesus pointed to this particular incident is that what was in common between that story and what happened with Jesus is that there was God's anointed leader. And he refers back to the great anointed leader in God's history with Israel, which is David. And it's an incident with the anointed leader and his followers where they did something that appeared at odds with the law. And by implication, Jesus is saying one greater than David is actually here now. And just like David, Jesus has the right to overturn the agreed conventions of the day. And that's exactly how Jesus finishes this little discussion. And really the heart of these two stories are summed up in verses 27 and 28. Let me just read it to you there. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what Jesus does here is explain at a very high level a very important principle that he was trying to teach, not just to the Pharisees, but to his followers as well. And it's about the whole purpose of the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word rest. And we first meet that word in the very beginning pages of scriptures in Genesis chapter 2. And on the seventh day of creation, we read that God rested from his creative works, he Sabbathed. And since that time, there has been built into the created order this sense of a seven-day week. And within that, and you pick this up in the book of Exodus, that seventh day is a day of rest. And it was set apart by God for his people for rest and for corporate worship. 
And when you read through the Old Testament, particularly in the law of Moses, uh, two reasons are given for the Sabbath. Uh, The first is in the first telling of the Ten Commandments, which is in Exodus chapter 20. And you see there, one of the commandments, I think it's number four, is that the law said that you've been given this day of Sabbath, a day of rest, because God has made you. And so what he's saying is because you are a created being, you need to rest. You're not God the creator, you are the creature. And you need to rest. You need to remember that. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, after 40 years of wandering, the law is retold a second time. And when it goes through, there's one difference in the second telling of the Ten Commandments to the first, and it's the reason for this day of rest. And in the second account in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's because they've been redeemed by God and they are not just to rest, they are to remember. They're to remember who they are. They're to remember their God. And that's why it was set apart as this day of worship. And the rhythm of life for the people of Israel was that every seven days they would stop and they would rest physically from their work. And they would meet and gather spiritually to rejoice in who they were and remember their identity before God as the redeemed people who were loved and they were journeying to the promised land which was where they would gain ultimate rest. And so you could say that the Sabbath was given to them to help them reorientate and remember exactly who they were and rest their bodies as they journeyed to the promised land. And it was part of their ritual, it was part of their, if I can say, the rhythm of life. Every week you stopped. Now the fascinating thing is in Exodus chapter 31, when you read more of the laws there, I'll just read you what chapter 31, 14 says. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. And it simply means it's set apart for you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from the people. Now, I put that to us this morning because, you see, this is the kind of law that's in the Pharisee's mind. Uh, This is this significant day. And God has said, you cannot desecrate it. And you desecrate it by working or by ignoring it. And the punishment for Israel in those days was death. You would be cut off from the people. And the reason why it was such a heavy command is because to not observe Sabbath was to deny who you were. It was to deny that you were a creature who relied on God. It was to deny that you'd been redeemed by God and saved by him and were journeying to the place he was preparing for you. And so if you were a faithful, godly Jew, you would stop and you would worship. But note what Jesus says. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what he's saying here is this. um, The actual day is not what is holy. It is the purpose of it. Now, we, I think, just intuitively think of the Sabbath as Sunday. Well, that is not what the Sabbath was back then. It was Saturday. 
And the Saturday, Jesus is saying, is not holy in itself in that you cannot touch it. In the, in the seven-day week, you've got one holy day and we are made for it. He's saying, no, it's the opposite. No, you've been given this day because you need it. It's for you. It's for your well-being. We require it as God's people. The day itself, whether it is Saturday, it's interesting we worship on a Sunday and that practice started because in the Jewish calendar it was the first day of the week, Sunday, and it was the day when Jesus rose from the dead. And so Christians have set apart that day as a day of rest. But we've been given the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, because we need it. It's for us. And I want you just to think about that reality this morning. And I'm going to give you two illustrations. One was one of the failed attempts to move and get rid of the seven-day working week. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the French Revolution, uh, one of the things that they wanted to do was cut ties with, uh, if I can say, the old aristocracy as well as the church. And they introduced in the French Revolution the metric system, which is based around the number 10 which we still use today. It's a great system. It's used in most parts of the world, though not in America. Anyway, I'll leave that one alone. And in 1784, the French Revolution led the country to abandon the seven-day week in favour of a 10-day week, inspired by this metric system. And so the French year was divided up into 36 weeks of 10 days, with an additional five days of public holidays. Now, the result, it was a disaster. And it lasted 12 years before the Emperor Napoleon abolished it in 1805 and they returned to the old pattern of a seven-day week. And why was it abolished? Well, two reasons. Workers complained about the extra work. <laughs> and the church also complained about the lack of time for worship. And what's fascinating is what was built into the DNA of creation could not be overturned. Do you know who the other country was that sought to overturn the seven-day working week? And I suspect strongly to get rid of the Christian uh, heritage of it. Uh, it was Russia at the turn of the 20th century. They also tried to overturn it and they also reverted back. And it's an interesting thing to reflect on because you see, deep in our DNA as creatures made by God, we need to rest physically and spiritually. And we actually need to do that every seven days. That's just what has been wired into us as people. And when a country tried to abolish this, it just didn't work. Because we need rest. And you see, that's the thing about the Sabbath. It's not a holy day. We're not made for it. It's made for us. We need that rest. Now, whether it's a Saturday, a Sunday, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it doesn't matter. My day of rest is Friday. That's not the point. And that's why when you read the New Testament, Paul will say, for some, one day is, if I can say, holy. For others, the day is neither here nor there. And the day is neither here nor there. 
But our cultural practice has been to set aside Sunday and that's not a bad thing. But I'm going to give you a second reason why a day of rest and worship is so important. Why do Christians fall away in their faith? It's a good question to ask. There's a whole range of reasons and it's a complex question. Underneath it, I think, is typically unbelief that we struggle to continue to believe the promises of God. But in terms of the way it works out, one of the key ways that people begin to fall away is when they stop meeting with other Christians. And typically when they stop meeting for worship. Because there is this intrinsic power about being together as the people of God. And when you cut yourself off from weekly worship, you cut yourself off from fellowship, from encouragement, and from experiencing God in the setting of being with God's people together as we worship him, as we hear his word, as we pray, as we sing, as we fellowship. And I've seen it through my years as a minister that one of the things I worry about most is when people are not uh, attending regularly at church because they literally are cutting themselves off from the fellowship of God's people and wired into us is not just the need for rest it's the need for fellowship and community is God's people it's why in the New Testament it says let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching and that's from Hebrews a book that reflects strongly about people falling away and calling people not to fall away and one of the things it keeps saying is keep encouraging each other keep meeting together You see, we need the Sabbath, we need to rest, and we need to meet to worship together. And that's what was given to us. But to have a legalistic mindset about what you can or can't do, Jesus says, you're missing the whole point. This is a day that was given to us for our benefit. Let me just stop and make one other reflection on corporate worship in this new era of online streaming and there's no doubt the whole concept of online streaming of services was here a long ago long ago um, I first heard about it about 20 years ago in 2000 and we've never done it and it's partly or significantly because of my personal belief of the incredible value and necessity of being together in person and you only have to see the reality of that when people who have not been here through COVID-19 have first come back and the emotional response of just being together as God's people has been overwhelming for some. Literally, people have walked in here and just cried. And it's because of that bond that we have together in worship that you cannot replace with online streaming. And no doubt it's been very, very helpful to keep us together in this period and absolutely essential but as we're now able to meet, I just want to encourage us to see that online is very helpful when people are sick, when people can't get here, 
And there's a whole host of reasons why people can't get here on a Sunday. But it's not a substitute for being together in person. There is a power and a necessity about actually being together. And it's an absolute privilege and blessing when we are. Well, the second part of uh, the... Um, sorry, I missed my photos. Um, the reading is another incident about the Sabbath. Let's have a look at verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. It's a separate incident. So the first happened, they're walking along. Now he's gone into the synagogue. It may have been the same day. It may have been the next week. But Mark records them back to back. And in verse 2, we read this. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And you can see the tension that has evolved between the religious leaders and the Lord Jesus. They're out to get him. They think of him as a Sabbath breaker. Now it's the Sabbath. He's in the synagogue. What's he going to do? And Jesus sees this man with a shriveled hand. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. You can just kind of hear the whole place go quiet. (laughs) And everyone's thinking, what's he going to do now? And I'm sure they're looking at Jesus. And I'm sure they're looking at the Pharisees, thinking what's going to go down. And so the scene is set. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? And I love the way Jesus frames this. It's kind of like, well, you can't win, can you? Because of the way he's framed what is about to happen. If you contrast it, it's a contrast between doing good or evil, between saving a life or killing a life. He's very clever. And the Pharisees know that they've been caught And so they just remain silent. And Jesus, in verse 5, we read, was filled with anger. Because they can't admit to themselves and they can't say to the people, actually, to heal this man would be to do good. They can't say this would probably save the man. And you think about being in a culture where manual work was so significant in terms of people's livelihood and to have a withered hand, what impact that would have on his livelihood and the incapacity it would cause in terms of him being able to survive. And why not on this day of all days when they are together rejoicing in the God who saves, could they not rejoice in the God who heals? But there was silence and it filled Jesus with anger. Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And you could just imagine, I mean, if you were sitting there and you'd seen this guy with the withered hand and he stretches it out and it's healed in front of you, I mean, you'd just be gobsmacked. And so what is stunning to read is that as that takes place, I'm sure the people were in awe But what's recorded is in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And you see this unlikely partnership between the Herodians, a political group, and this religious uh, group of leaders, the Pharisees. They join together and want to put this Jesus to death. 
to death. And it's stunning. And I take it the reason is because the Pharisees have determined that Jesus is a Sabbath breaker. And according to the law of Moses, he needs to die. They thought the day was sacrosanct. There were things that you did on the Sabbath, and there were things that you didn't do like work, and Jesus was the lawbreaker. But to Jesus, the Sabbath was not about rule-keeping, it was about sign-pointing. You see, the purpose of the Sabbath was to help them remember that they were creatures, they rested, and to remember they were redeemed, and to point them forward to when they would finally be at rest with God. And what does Jesus do on this Sabbath? He gives them this incredible pointer that rest is coming. And restoration is coming. And there'll be a day when the kingdom arrives and all things will be restored and they will be at rest with him. And if I can take you back to that last verse in chapter 2, which I just overlooked. The Sabbath was not for made for man, but... Sorry, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man... The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And what happens is in this second part of the reading, you see that reality fleshed out. The Lord of the Sabbath is here. The one who is over the Sabbath, the one who is the Lord. And on this Sabbath, he gives ultimate rest and restoration to this man as a pointer to his authority. And you see, that's the whole point of the Sabbath for the people of God. It's to remember who we are and where we're going. And that one day, we'll be at rest. And one day, there'll be all things restored. And that's the question for our culture. Where is it that you will find ultimate rest? Where will you find ultimate restoration? Let me take you to St. Augustine. He wrote in the 6th century, and he's one of the great profound thinkers of the Christian church. And his major work was called Confessions. And it began with these profound and well-known words. I heard it described as one of the most profound sentences outside of the Bible. Because you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless, till they find their rest in thee. We've been made for God. And you see, until we discover that, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. And Jesus is the one who says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And what's happening in this story in Mark's gospel is Jesus is showing to the world on the Sabbath that he is the one who brings rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this day has been given to us to remind us that it is him who will restore us. And it's in him that we find our rest and our restoration. We just need to come to him. 
And friends, that's why we gather week by week. To rest our bodies and to remember who we are and to reorientate to heaven because that is the place where ultimately we will find our rest and our full restoration in him. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the way you've made us and the way you've ordered this world and that every seven days we stop to rest and to remember and to reorientate. And thank you that we can meet together this day and rest and remember who we are in Christ, that we've been redeemed and that one day all things will be restored when he returns. May we continue to live for him and that day. In Jesus' name, amen.